Hey everyone, it's Paul Ward here and welcome to another edition of Farm Talk. I'm so excited today because we have Alex Frecker with Frecker Farms in Carpinteria, California. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Happy to be here. This uh, show is brought to you by Escrow Hub and The Money Store. So what is, what is Frecker Farms? So Frecker Farms is a certified organic row crop farm located in Carpinteria, California. Um, we're 40 acres um, and very diversified. We grow avocados is the only tree crop that we grow, mm -hmm. but everything else is diversified row crops. So kind of whatever you would assume to see at a fresh market, we probably grow. I understand that you have been uh, a farmer since a very young age. Yeah. You started at, I think, 25? Yeah, I started this business when I was 25, and then before that had quite a bit of experience working for a family friend who became a mentor of mine uh, since I was like 13 doing farmer's markets and whatnot. Wow. I yeah. Because usually you think of farmers as, you know, in Older. their 50s, 60s. Yeah, it's a problem in the country right now. I think the average farmer is like 62, I think I want to say. Really? And so that's going to be a thing that we'll have to deal with um, in the next generation pretty much. Interesting. Yeah. So you had a passion for it since you were a teenager yeah um it was more like proximity i'd say first mm -hmm. off and mm -hmm. it was a good you know job that helped me buy my first car and gave me some autonomy um and then after that it it did become a passion it mm -hmm. was really fun i think my first exposure was being able to sell produce at farmers markets and just realizing what a what a community-based uh job it was mm -hmm. you know it just felt like it was important and people had a lot of you know interest in it and wanted to support it and it felt good uh-huh and you had a you had a mentor who got you started yeah john Givens. um i actually knew the family from playing roller hockey in santa barbara uh -huh. ironically enough and uh after that you know took a job with him working at the santa barbara farmer's market every saturday which uh -huh. was great with his uh, youngest son, and uh, it just kind of went from there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, so you started and you had like a three-acre parcel to, to begin, and, yeah. then, and then tell us about that. So yeah, it was right up up here um, on the other side of that hill, uh, Rincon Road, and it was actually four, four acres, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was just me first, uh -huh. and it was pretty crazy for a couple years. Uh, but I was ambitious mm -hmm. and um, was able to get into the Pacific Palisades Farmer's Market, which is a farmer's market that I was selling at for John mm -hmm. um, previously. So I already had clientele there that knew me. So that was helpful. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. Started getting part-time employees, hired some friends mm -hmm. and started honing in on Spanish a lot more, which I realized was going to be important. Uh huh. And would yeah. you pay your friends in beer and yeah. say, hey, come, some, some I don't beans. even think I had enough money for that at that point. I think it was more just whoever wanted to come work, mm -hmm. get a nice workout um, out at the farm. But no, eventually, once we were able to start selling at farmer's markets, we generated some income and just kind of went from there. And mm -hmm. it was meager means, but, you know, hard work pays off. Mm -hmm. And then you grew, you grew fairly quickly. I mean, you kind of grew from three acres or four acres to... 30 plus acres yeah. quite rapidly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The transition, I think the first two years we were at four acres. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we rented uh, some property out here, um, mm -hmm. an additional 11 acres. And there was other tenants on the property farming mm -hmm. simultaneously. And since then, we just started acquiring those acres. And so now we rent the whole property. Mm -hmm. um, we have been renting the whole property since I think 2000 and 
18. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's working out nice. Yeah. And yeah. I imagine with that expansion, you had to get a lot of new equipment because, you know, growing Just on three acres is a lot different than growing constant. on 30 plus. Acres. Yeah, constant. And, and learning how to do things differently. So it mm-hmm. went from kind of hand techniques and right. we still do a lot of stuff by hand out here mm-hmm. but um, in order to scale you have to mechanize and so yep. we definitely learned how to get the right tools and how to how to use them properly mm-hmm. and uh, we're still in that phase still definitely learning. always acquiring yeah acquiring and learning for sure that's awesome yeah now you're certified organic correct uh, what what made you I mean for some people that's an easy answer but what made you decide to go organic versus conventional? Part of it was proximity. I mm-hmm. think that if I grew up in Ohio and met another John Givens in Ohio who farmed, you know, not organically, mm-hmm. conventionally, I, I imagine that I would probably be doing that there. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. But then as I learned what it meant to be growing organically, there's a lot of pride in that. And um, it's something that I've wanted to sustain. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we got certified right off the bat. We actually got certified organic before we started growing. You did? Yep. You didn't um, have to wait the kind of three year So phase the in? property that we started on had no agricultural record. So there was no spraying that occurred on the property. So in that scenario, you're actually able to convert that property to organic right away. Oh, you just have great. to have an initial inspection. Sure. Yeah. So great. we were lucky. It, it, I was hoping to find a property like that, but also felt pretty lucky to have that experience. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine being organic, you've got a pretty loyal following. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Client base, yes. customer base. Yes, definitely. And, you know, the conversation grows around that concept. The fact that we are organic, the fact that we are using compost, that we're trying to build soil and mm-hmm. really create a healthy environment definitely um, helps retain customers. And also, again, it's a, it's a piece of pride. Right. Yeah. Your soil's not dead. It's No, it's, it's quite, quite different. Yeah, if you dig around in the soil, you'll find all kinds of critters for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, your mission, fresh, organic, local, what is that? What does that mean? It kind of encompasses what what our goal is here. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a mix of wholesale and retail. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do a lot of direct marketing through our farmers markets. We also have our farm stand, which is happening today. Um, we've done produce CSA boxes for our community here and communities in Los Angeles. And even though the business is a mix of wholesale and retail, it's all trying to aim at local. Mm -hmm. So our produce isn't traveling much farther than Los Angeles or the Bay Area. Um, The Bay Area is pretty far. It's 400 miles. Yeah. yeah, But but in the scheme of farming, Mm. not very far. I mean, a lot of farms are shipping out of state, out of country. um, And so we keep it relatively local in that sense. Mm -hmm. And then it also helps us build community. So the fact that we're we have a strong foothold in the local community and actually local communities, you know, through our farmers markets that are between here and Los Angeles. I feel like we're able to kind of generate these little communal hubs mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, transactions of organic produce, but also thoughts, you know, concerns, considerations, and it's good. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I went, speaking of local, I went to the, you had a dinner here at the farm. Yeah. It was kind of a family style with a long table, and there yeah. must have been, you know, 50 people on each side of the table. For and sure. string of lights and, you know, everything grown here on the, well, most everything I think was grown yeah. here on the farm. Mm-hmm. And 
course, the organic beer garden, too, which is nice. <laughs> um, yeah, man, community is everything. It's, uh-huh. uh, it's definitely a goal of ours here, and um, it's been fun to, to kind of be that hub for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and those dinners were fantastic, and I miss doing them, and I'm looking forward to doing them again soon. Yeah, now that we're kind of out of the COVID zone. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, I think it seems like California is going to be opening up next week, which is great. And yeah. um, we'll definitely be having some parties out here shortly. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Tell us more about the farmer's market. So you, I mean, you've got a crew that mm-hmm. drives around to, yep. I mean. Yeah, it takes it takes a, a crew of people. It takes a fleet of vehicles. Um, it, it's definitely uh, production, mm-hmm. um, but it's a system. So mm-hmm. you, you get it systematic just like we do with the farm and the right. growing process. Um, we have our core group of, of, of employees that go to these markets and um, the main goal is just to represent the farm as well as we can. Mm-hmm. And again, to really go into these communities with the mindset of creating community. Mm-hmm. So um, I always let our employees know that it's not just about the produce, it's about right. the connection, it's about a story. Right. Um, that's all part of it. And so we try to tailor towards that. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really proud of the group that we have that are helping us out with those farmers markets. That's awesome. Um, what are you growing here? I mean, I know you got avocados. I yeah. Avocados. Yep. We got two, we have two and a half acres of avocados between this, uh, orchard here and the orchard at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's row crops. So mm-hmm. diversified, uh, about 40 different varieties of, of things year round. Oh, wow. Um, so right now, like tomatoes are just starting, cucumbers, zucchini, eggplant, chilies, bell peppers, um, and then strawberries are one of our also, our, our main commodities that we grow, which is kind of just getting to the tail end of the season right now. Mm-hmm. And then there's things that we grow year round, like mm-hmm. carrots, kale, radishes, dill, cilantro, parsley, um, chard, arugula, I'm not even going to hit them all, but there's a right. lot. There's yeah, a lot. There's a lot. And you have boxes that people can buy. Sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, we did that through the pandemic. So that was one thing that um, that was really unique about having a business like we have, which is, you know, somewhat robust, but mm-hmm. definitely still nimble and flexible enough mm-hmm. um, to make changes when the world changes. Right. And we saw a lot of that this last year. So we were able to pivot in different ways that allowed us to still sell produce because mm-hmm. we were an essential business, mm-hmm. but also really to cater to, to our communities and, and do things in a safe, um, you know, really conscious way. Mm-hmm. And so the boxes were a part of that. Um, we were able to bring produce boxes down to Pacific Palisades in Los Angeles twice a week um, oh, wow. for a majority of the pandemic mm-hmm. and that is now tapered down to a once a week activity that we do on Thursdays okay. um, from three to five. Um, and it still is a hit. It still is something that the community really desires down there. Right. Um, but again, as things kind of morphed, as things do in, in the, the states opening up a little bit more, um, we're again going to pivot a little bit. So we'll have that still available for people and then we'll, you know, do a more robust setup at farmers markets mm-hmm. and continue on our wholesale and sell back to restaurants. That was a that was a part of the business that depleted during this last hammered. year. Right, of course. Yeah. And so, you know, it's not a huge part of our our local retail, but it, it's again something that really helps us kind of be meshed in the community. And so right. I like being able to sell to local restaurants. So that's starting up again, which is really nice to see. And how do you I mean with the diversif- diversified uh crops that you have, mm-hmm. 
I'm just thinking about, you know, when I go into the grocery store, you mm -hmm. know, it used to be when I was a kid, you know, blueberries were there for two weeks and mm -hmm. it was some kind of ooh specialty. You know, sure. my, my grandmother would buy blueberries, but my mom, you know, couldn't afford them. Right. Um, now, you know, blueberries all year long. Everywhere. You know, you don't Everything. know where they're from. Yeah, I mean, unless you read the fine print. Right. Um, so you don't know really what you're what you're eating. Right. Um, but how does that work with your client base because you don't always have avocados sure. I mean you don't always have and it's a problem things. you know mm -hmm. that's a that's part of the personal problem of selling directly to people right is mm -hmm. you kind of have to answer to these questions so we try to be transparent uh -huh. I think that's also the beautiful thing about having these direct marketing strategies mm -hmm. is that you have the opportunity to be transparent you have the opportunity to educate mm -hmm. it's a little bit of work mm -hmm. it's not always fun sometimes you're not having a great day someone asks a stupid question you're kind of pissed right it's part of it. You right. gotta tamp it back and remember that they don't know the side that you know of the situation and you educate. Right. So that's what I do. You know, if we don't have carrots, we had a string of about four weeks this last winter where we didn't have carrots. Never happened to us before. It was just the planting dates happened, so it rained in certain times where we weren't able to get into the field. Right. So we have that hole in that product. Just got to explain to people. It wasn't fun. It didn't feel good, but right. it was part of the process. And your and your employees, they need to know the sure, yeah. ins and outs mm -hmm. as well. So that's part of my job is, you know, if I'm being quarterback here, I have to really be clear at communicating with all the employees that go out and represent us at farmer's markets. And then also the back end, which is the backbone of this whole business is our crew here. That's right. constantly picking, planting, weeding, you know, all the different jobs that we have to do here every day. Mm -hmm. It seems like, and just from touring, it seems like your employees are more than just employees. It seems like there's kind of a family com mm -hmm. camaraderie that you don't see in a lot of, For sure. you know, bigger kind of monoculture totally. operations. Yeah. That's, again, something that we're trying to cultivate for sure. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it, it's the same way I think about our small town of Carpinteria. It creates accountability. Mm -hmm. So if everyone's on the same page and the communication's clear, um, accountability is there as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helpful for you know raising people up yeah. and raising a business up. Yeah, they were they just seemed enthusiastic as they were getting ready to, you know, get in the van and yeah. go to the farmers market yeah, this morning. They were sure. just kind of like you know ho hum. No, they were, they were no, 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 they no. Were no. We right? always check in with each other and make sure everyone's doing well. And sometimes someone comes to work and they're not feeling great, and that's understandable. And right. we do our best to help support them. Sure. How are you? I mean, we're kind of in a multi-year drought. Mm -hmm. it seems like we're below normal sure. every year now with rain. Yep. Um, you know, people have wells and, you know, pumping water out of the ground. Yep. Um, how are you uh, conserving water? So, yeah, it's a good question. Um, we also have two wells. Mm -hmm. um, I would argue that if you did want to do, you know, if you wanted to go out and row crop farm like we do, especially in California, um, you really do need a well source to mm -hmm. use city water. And I have some friends that do it. It's really tough right now with the Very rates that expensive. they pay. Yeah. And also just, you know, a less responsible use of that resource. Mm -hmm. um, and, and not to knock anyone that's doing it, sometimes that's the scenario. Sometimes there isn't an ability to drill a well, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's financial or, or because of the topography of the, of the terrain. Um, but we have two wells, and so we get to utilize those, which is great. And then we also have this feature that's back in the distance there. It's a five acre man-made reservoir. Oh, wow. So this property topographically, we're at the bottom of the Carpinteria Valley basin right here. And so it's actually, you know, watershed or it's 500 acres of watershed comes to this location when it's really raining. So that uh, man-made reservoir 
was created to make this land usable. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I've seen pictures of this property in the 60s where it was a lake, the whole thing. Oh, and really? so pretty much half the property is unable to be used all of a sudden. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, we get to use that water when it does rain, that fills up, and then that percolates mm -hmm. into the, the soil, into the aquifer. Mm -hmm. So we're able to collect all that water while simultaneously cleaning it. You know, soil's the best filter around. Right. So that's pretty unique. And then in terms of how we grow, we use micro drip uh, sprinklers. Oh, you so do? You're not using rainbirds and watering all over the place? We do, we do when we're trying to like uh, get soil prepped for planting, mm -hmm. but in terms of irrigation, we only use micro drip. Oh, wow. And so what that does is it allows for less evaporation, mm -hmm. it allows for better penetration of water, so we have the water on for less amount of time, but get a better saturation rate. And it only waters exactly where we want it to water, so we have less weeds. Um, the only issue is 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 the fact that there's a byproduct, which is plastic, petroleum. So, sure. and we can only use those so many times. So there is a negative, you know, aspect to it. But I'm hoping that in the future we figure out ways to have recyclable or biodegradable plastics. We actually had a team from UCSB come by the other week that wanted to ask questions and interface with a farmer to kind of figure out how they can get their minds around this problem, which is trash. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, And I imagine with the uh, the mulches that you're using too, that the that the soil stays moist 100%. longer. 100%, absolutely. Just, so yeah, yeah it's, it's it has better water retention. Um, you get more even waterings. Mm -hmm. um, and you actually get the increased benefit of, of raising the soil temperatures up a bit, which makes the microbiology that's in the soil react and act a little faster, mm -hmm. which helps the plant grow more more robustly sure. during the summer months. Sure. How did the farm get started? I worked for John Givens um, doing farmers markets when I was in high school and then I went off to UC Irvine to go to college and I actually would commute from UC Irvine to Pacific Palisades every Sunday to meet John's wife at the market to do the market with her. So that was a great summertime job. Mm -hmm. And then after that I was in my last year of college. I had a business management degree. I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I remember going and meeting John and his wife at their house uh, for dinner. And I really wanted to ask John if I could work full time for him. And there just wasn't a good opportunity. The whole dinner, everyone was talking. I wanted to get him alone so I could ask him this. I was really nervous. Um, and at the end of the night, I left because the night was over sure. and thankfully John walked out with me kind of behind me out the front door and it was a perfect opportunity so I asked him if I could work full-time he said of course and so I came and worked for John for four years um, and where is his farm in Goleta okay so yeah. not too so far, not too far about yeah. 20 miles away yeah and it's a 200 acre certified organic farm oh, big. between Goleta and Buellton it mm -hmm. had at the time it had 12 or 13 satellite properties so oh, wow very big farm, a lot of inefficiencies in having all those multiple properties, sure. but a need for tons of equipment, people, transportation, all those different things. So it was really exciting. There was so much going on. Um, and in those four years, you know, I learned Spanish. I learned how to do all the accounting and, and the paperwork in the office. I uh, created his Good, good Organic Practices um, program, which mm -hmm. is something that we all had to do at that point. Um, I learned how to manage a crew. I learned how to grow fruits and vegetables. 
and it's right because you didn't go to school for agriculture none. you didn't go it to was a big all farm experiential school. all of it so i had a, a mind for business and management mm-hmm. um, and some resources to to put those into practice mm-hmm. but had no experience outside of just working on the farm mm-hmm. which i honestly would argue in retrospect is a really positive thing i think it's i think for me i learned so much better while doing and making sure. mistakes and yep. you know figuring it out as we go um but at the end of those four years, I was ready to do more. And I approached Sean when I thought it was a appropriate time, sometime after work. And, you know, I, I told him that I was ready to do more and said, you know, if you could pay me a salary, I'd, you know, I'd run your farm for you. And, mm-hmm. and you could take more time off or manage me from a distance so you don't have to be here as often. And I should have known John better, but, but it that farm's his baby that farm Mm -hmm. is you know like a child he's just like he's cultivated the crops he was cultivating this business Mm -hmm. and he enjoyed it and he needed it and he told me that he knew that if i wanted what i wanted in life i'd have to go and do this on my own which at the time was devastating you know i i thought i was gonna just get a raise and (laughs) work a little harder and figure things out he's gonna go on vacation everything's hunky-dory and so it just caught me off guard and i remember going out to his son's house who lived on the property his oldest son matt and pretty much probably just like crying and just feeling really down and like i shouldn't have asked him that like maybe i should have just let things be maybe it was too soon Maybe I angered him. And then as a couple days went on, I realized I had a decision to make. And it was either stay or let myself get pushed out of the nest Mm -hmm. and try to figure things out on my own. And that's what I ended up doing. And looking back in retrospect, it was the best decision. And John telling me no and that I needed to go off and do this on my own was the best thing he could have done for me. Everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah, but you know, with motivation, with with a goal in mind, you know? So he definitely, That's and that's the funny thing is that as I went off on my own, I remember there was a bit of spite, you know? There was a bit of anger that was kind of the fuel that I was using to get things working because God forbid I went out on my own and didn't solve the problems I needed to solve, you know? Um, and as I realized that I was capable and that things could happen the way I wanted to, that thankfully dissolved and we're great friends. He's still a huge part of my life, a big mentor of mine. Um, I call him with any kind of questions and he calls me with questions too. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a great story. It feels, yeah, it feels good. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So for those that don't know, what is the process for growing a crop? We do pretty much everything in-house, which I think is kind of rare for a farm our size. I so do you do the seeds? We you do really seeding, yep, seeds? we germinate seeds. Really? We seed them by hand in the flats. Wow. We propagate them. And then when, the, when they're at the right point, mm-hmm. you know, maturation, mm-hmm. we transplant them. So it's the whole thing. It's literally from seed to harvest, to procuring the harvest, to selling the harvest, which I would argue you know, in a small diversified business, that's a huge power in our business is to have this vertical integration of mm-hmm. going from a seed product to a finished product that we're actually selling at retail value. Wow. 
So you um, take the seeds out of the tomatoes at some point and then you... Well, we don't, so we don't do all that. So that's so, okay. Okay. so pardon me. So it's not a completely closed loop, which is fantastic people that do do that. And we've tried that before in the past, you know, saving seed and whatnot. So you have to have um, seed that is uh, like an, up, an heirloom variety mm -hmm. so that it can actually produce the same genetic uh, components in the next set of offspring. Mm -hmm. um, when we use hybridized seed, if you were to use that seed of that product, you would get different phenotypes from the actual seed that you planted. So you'd either get something that's more related to the mother genetics or the father genetics. Oh, interesting. Um, so you could do that, but you would get slightly different harvests every time. So you'd kind of wonder what you're going to get. 100%. But after a little bit of time, you could select, you know, it's Mendelian genetics, basically. You can select aspects of fruit that you really like, keep using that seed, and eventually you will be able to stabilize those genetics. So it's a process, yeah. but that's all. That's something I would love to do in the future. It's something that's not super related to the production side of things, which is what we're doing here. Sure. But in terms of like my own like tinkering mind, I would love to have right. a little laboratory where sure. we're looking at genetics, you know, growing things specifically in the ground and knowing that this is a different phenotype from that phenotype and kind of seeing the variation that occurs. Interesting, but it'd be kind of hard to monetize that when you're just it, kind it of just it would it be <laughs> we're already like so busy. yeah just drowning right now in work especially right. in june right I it would it. just it, it would not be something that works out but it definitely tickles my fancy sure yeah. what's it like uh relying on farmers markets i mean it's kind of different every day that's a great question um it is different every day and it definitely goes through its cycles. So like right now we have strawberries, which are, is one of our all-star products. You mm -hmm. go to the market, the first thing you smell is fresh strawberries coming off the table. Um, and so times are good right now. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a lot of diversity in the field and a lot of diversity on the table. Um, conversely, in the winter time, you could have a rainy market, which mm -hmm. now you're out there wet, everyone's not feeling very good, the vibe's low. You know, that's a big part of farmer's markets is the the transaction in terms of energy too. So mm -hmm. if our employees or myself are at a market and we're freezing cold and we're soaking wet and mm -hmm. water's dripping on everything, it's just not gonna be very fun. You know, right. you can imagine everyone's trying to get in, get out and move on with their day. Right. Conversely, you go to a market and it's 75 degrees and there's music playing and you can smell everything's so aromatic because it's warm out. Mm -hmm it's just the ingredients for a potentially great market. Mm -hmm. So our farmers markets, are they competitive or collaborative? I mean, you kind of, if everybody has strawberries, then that's another that... great question. Um, it's both. Mm -hmm. And part of the market management's job is to manage that. So you don't want to be putting like, for instance, if you had four strawberry growers in a market, you don't want to put the four strawberry growers right next to each other. Right. You want to spread them out throughout the market. Mm -hmm. Um, and then markets are different. Like we just started a market in Ojai on Thursdays. Uh, it's the Ojai Community Market and it was, had its first market last Thursday and it's all organic vendors. Oh, wow. So no one that's there is growing conventional produce, which that's the first market that we've joined that has that kind of like standard of, of, of what they wanna be you know, selling at a marketplace. Interesting. So the customer can just go in knowing automatically mm -hmm. that, hey, anything I buy here is right. organic. I don't have to even Correct. worry about well, it. Correct. Well, and legally, on our end, mm -hmm. um, liability-wise, you are supposed to have things posted. So mm -hmm. we're supposed to post our organic certification. We're supposed to post our signage. 
Um, but that's exactly right. And that's pretty cool. That's great. Again, I've never been involved in a market like that before. So it's exciting. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So farmer's markets during the week. Tuesday, Santa Barbara downtown. Wednesday, we have our farm stand. And we're also in Larchmont on Wednesdays. Thursdays, we're in Carpinteria locally, Ojai. And then we also do our Pacific Palisades box drop, drop off. Um, Saturdays, we're in Calabasas and also downtown Santa Barbara again. Sundays, we're again in Ojai, Melrose, Larchmont, Pacific Palisades, wow. and Brentwood. That's a lot. Yeah. That's so a big, it's, that's a big I think schedule. 13 market places a week. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So this has been Farm Talk. Thank you so much for checking in. Uh, our sponsors are Escrow Hub and The Money Store. And you can find Farm Talk with Paul Ward on Audible, Apple iPlay, Amazon, and of course YouTube.